Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. And here is Jeff Worley, reading from the current issue of Kentucky Humanities Magazine and his poem titled, Seventy. Seventy. The bagger at Kroger, wearing a fracture boot, asks if she can help me out with my two plastic bags. At Happy Panda, in my cracked open fortune cookie, a blank slip of paper. I used to know the capital of South Dakota. Two dozen tiny red spots have appeared on my chest and stomach. Well, my doctor says helpfully, your records tell me you just had a major birthday. Connect the dots. Jeff, welcome to Think Humanities. Thanks for having me, Bill. Doesn't have anything to do with uh, our current age, does it? Uh, coincidentally, yes. I think you and I are about we the are. same. About yeah, the same. We are, and and uh, I would think that uh, most uh, writers, uh, poets, uh, essayists, and certain uh, members of society. Uh, it's unavoidable to think about uh, AIDS these days. Is that correct? I think, well, it probably has always been unavoidable, <laughs> um, especially many, many years ago when you were lucky to live to be 35. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's probably not very healthy to just ignore the fact that you're getting older, and that's the goal, isn't it? <laughs> well, you've had a long and, uh, and, and quality career uh, as a professor and, and uh, editor and, and writer, and you're still uh, once a poet, always a poet. Uh, tell us just a little bit about your, your background. Um, well, I'm from Kansas, from Wichita. I grew up in the safe and somewhat boring 50s in Kansas, the Eisenhower years. Um, I lived in a middle, middle-class neighborhood had many friends. I did a lot of boy things. I played baseball, basketball, collected baseball cards. In fact, maybe the, the, the pinnacle of, of my life has been when I was 13 and had the 10th largest baseball card collection in the country. Goodness. 22,000 cards. So yeah, I was... Uh, uh, chewed a lot of bubble gum. Yes, and uh, paid the dental bills through the years <laughs> after that. Uh, uh, that that wasn't a very healthy choice. Um, and we did all the the kid things that you did. We uh, we uh, played kick the can in the summers. Collected fireflies in jars. This is back when there were fireflies. So you probably remember those times. Yeah. Um, and. Had, had a really uh, wonderful childhood. And once I got to be late teens or so, I was really pretty ready to, to leave Kansas. And that happened after I got my MFA from Wichita State in 75. I got hired to teach with the University of Maryland's European program, which 
was established in 1947, right after the war, to uh, mostly uh, allow military people to get a college education. It's been hugely successful. So I taught for uh, nine years, almost in entirely in Germany. It's a wonderful experience. And? And uh, one of the best things that happened uh, during, that, uh, during that time was in 1977, I was uh, teaching in, in Nuremberg at the uh, Darby Education Center and noticed that whoever was teaching next to me uh, was a big hit. Her students were laughing all the time. My students were never laughing because I was teaching what was called developmental English, trying to get students prepared to take English 101. So, you know, there aren't many grammar jokes that I know anyway. I wanted to see during one of our breaks who this was that was making me look so bad. And uh, turned out, first time I saw this lovely young woman, she was reaching a hand from underneath her desk, and all I saw was the arm, and then she got up, stood on top of the desk, and basically she was demonstrating the difference between dative and accusative uh, prepositions <laughs> in German, motion or, or not motion. And uh, I thought, this is somebody that I need to get to know. Yeah. And so Linda and I uh, got to know each other, started going out for pizza. How romantic, right? Uh -huh. And um, ended up uh, moving in together the next April. And we're still together because uh, she's a very patient woman. <laughs> uh, did your um, uh, teaching career uh, eventually bring you uh, back uh, t to the States? Well, what brought us back to the States was that uh, her uh, mentor, main mentor, came over to visit in Nuremberg and asked us. We'd been there then eight years, seven years maybe, and he, he said, are you two planning to live here forever? And we hadn't really given it much thought because we were having a good time there. Mm -hmm. But Linda needed to finish uh, a prelim, and she did want to get her PhD, and this was all uh, at the University of Cincinnati. So within, I think within 24 hours, we decided basically to move back on a trial basis to Cincinnati so she could finish her uh, prelim and do her dissertation, and that's what we did. Was she from the area? Was she? Uh, she's from Cleveland. Okay. But she, uh, she got uh, her, her, her BA in, in Ohio and then her master's at the University of Cincinnati and, and then her, her doctorate. Mm -hmm. How long did you teach? Uh, from counting, being a, a teaching assistant at Wichita State, uh, 14 years mm -hmm. at different universities. And you, um, your work, uh, were, were you beginning to write poetry at that time, or is this something that you had done earlier? I started, actually, I came to poetry through folk music. In the um, late 60s, early 70s, I was playing in clubs and uh, bars in, in Wichita. And I was always most interested in the songs that had the most poetic lyrics. Early Dylan. Gordon Lightfoot, um, uh, Ian and Sylvia, 
uh, Canadian mm-hmm. uh, duo, and several others. And I was a, a pretty mediocre player, mediocre singer, but I never forgot the words to a song. And so that maybe was some clue that what I really was interested is in the in the words on the page. So I took a poetry writing class from a wonderful poet, and we're still in touch, uh, named Michael Van Walligan at Wichita State. And a lot of us have had the lucky experience of having one teacher somewhere along the line that put us on a path that we didn't know we were going to be on, but we immediately realized that this was our path, mm-hmm. and he was that uh, teacher. So loved his class. Uh, he had us reading uh, uh, poets who were could be called plain-spoken, but also uh, touched up their conversational speech with uh, metaphor, simile, imagery, the tools of the poet, and were accessible and memorable, uh, and uh, it was it was a wonderful experience for me. So I continued along taking poetry classes, and then Wichita State had a brand new MFA program in '72, and I was the second graduate of that of that program. So that's probably more than you needed to know. Is it? Um... Is it fair to ask you to describe your poetry over the uh, the, the decades? Um, what what port what kind of poetry do you write? Well, first of all, that's a question you know poets hate <laughs> because uh, the uh, type of poetry I write is it's easier just to, to, to hand someone a poem or two and say this type mm-hmm. but uh, what, you're not going to get away uh, that easy with, i know that's and you, and that, you, that's you, why i'm ready to answer this and question you've written written <laughs> a, a lot more than just uh, stories about how old you are right <laughs> right um uh, the the two basic modes of poetry are lyrical and, na- and narrative and what i like to do is some combination of the two i love storytelling and of course kentucky is a great place for any writer to be who loves storytelling but I also love music and so what I like to do I think in my in my best poems is to tell a story through the lens of imagination of course but to make it uh, sound good to make it musical and um, so really really a combination of those two and this isn't unique on my part this has uh, been ha- <laughs> been happening for uh, quite a long time but those are the poems that I'm most attracted to and um, the, the poems that by and large I try to write myself could you give us an example of one of those I could um, I just happen to have the manuscript here for my new collection which it will be out in a few days from Broadstone Books in Frankfurt. Uh, Larry Moore is the editor. How's that for a plug? I, <laughs> That's all, fine. Kind of sneak, we're, we're all for that. Sneak that in just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, here's one I'll read. Uh, the collection is called Lucky Talk, and these are short poems. This is one that was triggered by a student's question uh, after a reading, what, what I like to do even more than, than read, and I do love to read, is to, uh, to do a Q&A with the people there and just find out what, what, what they're all about. And 
this is a question that a student wrote, not, who asked me uh, after a reading some years ago. He said, did your parents encourage you to write poetry? It's a good question. And so as a result of that, I decided to answer this in a poem, and this is titled Fishing Lesson from My Father, 1957. Did your parents encourage you to write poetry? A student's question. First, learn to love the quiet. Cast out your line as if you were invisible, a ghost here in the morning mists of the little Arkansas River. What you hope to catch is there for you. And Jeff, are you listening? You've got to be patient. If you can't wait, then don't unpack your tackle box. Sometimes nothing happens, but then you may be dozing in a solid slant of light. Something will jerk you awake. Feisty silver scales tossing beads of water in every direction. Reel it in, hold it up to the light, then let it go. Very nice. Very nice. This is in your new collection? Yes, it is. Uh-huh. What, what's, um, tell us from a, uh, uh, your teaching uh, standpoint, uh, what this poem says to you. Obviously, I mean, if we were, if it was somebody else's poem and we were uh, uh, critiquing it in, in a, uh, a class, mm-hmm. uh, what is the poet trying to do here? Well, I, I think what, what I was trying to do here is um, a not very subtle analogy between the act of, of fishing, something physically active, and the, the act of writing a poem. So I hope there's enough vocabulary in there so that the reader gets that. Uh, it can be taken simply as a poem about a kid fishing with his father, but I think because of the epigraph, it, it leads the reader to see that analogy there. It's nothing real heavy, um, but uh, it served, in, in my mind anyway, as, a, as an answer to this very good question. Explain the, uh, the line, the question, and Jeff, are you listening? Uh, well, it's the fishing lesson from my father. So I think the implication is that the character named Jeff is, is maybe not paying particular attention as some people named Jeff sometimes do not. And so was, was wanting to get my attention to explain, you know, how to catch a fish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, I, I took that then in this poem to, you know, ha- how to come up with a poem. And yeah. um, I, I, I like rhetorical touches like that from other poets because it, I think it makes the reader uh, pay attention in a, in, a, in a quick, sharp way that uh, something very direct mm-hmm. like that. And I do use my own name in, in poems uh, sometimes, and that's, again, that's nothing unique. Um, Let's try another one. What, what else do you have in your... Okay, let's see. And this is another one from the new collection? Right. Uh, How long have you been working on this collection? 
these these are short poems that some of them are 25 years old. Really? And uh, ha- have appeared in, in books previously. But I just got the idea that it would be kind of fun to put together a, this is really a chat book of of shorter poems to see how they resonate among each other and so forth. And the fact that some of them were written and published 30 years ago and a, a couple in here are, are brand new. So that w- that kind of interested me just to kind of telescope all of those years. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, He's leaving through the uh, no, what I'm doing, I, copy I, of the I, I realize uh, that, the there, that there are uh, federal regulations about... <laughs> Oh, I don't know uh, about uh, that. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. Okay, I'll re- I'll read this one. It's yeah. it's really it's really pretty different. Okay. Um, this poem and and a lot of a lot of uh, people wonder how how did you come up with that idea? And it's a, it's a question that always interests me about other poets' work. And uh, this idea came from standing in a Kroger line waiting to pay. And it was a long line at the, at the time. A lot of things happen at Kroger uh, for you. Uh, apparently so. Yeah, actually, there's another one or two. Uh, and, and we don't mean to be giving him a plug necessarily, no, no, they, do they we? They already uh, have a football stadium uh, named after him. Uh, yeah, so, I don't, yeah, I don't think yeah. uh, poets can compete with the football right. stadium. So I happened to glance at an issue of the Star. Now, for those out there who don't know what the Star is, it's... Um, well, how everybody's uh, been to Kroger, though. Oh, everybody's <laughs> been to Kroger. It's a National Enquirer kind of kind of thing. I don't even know if it still exists, but I saw this as their main story. As I was waiting to check out, the the, the headline was UFO lands near Beatrice, Nebraska. Semicolon. Dog killed. The star. The dog is speaking here. And I've, I thought, yeah, this is something else poets can do. You can have animals speak. You can have a lamppost narrate a poem if you want to. Um, and so the dog is speaking here. I knew if I barked hard enough at the sky, I could bring the light down to me. Like the hand of my master, a warm star descending to my fur after his long day away. Room to room light has always followed him. And my coarse voice, the only voice I have, has, after all these nights in the moon-gilded dark, called something down. Whatever rough bolus my throat sent up is returning now, billion-fold, inconceivable. I wait for it as I've learned to wait. I watch it bring the sky down with it, every light spinning down to where I feel suddenly like barking and barking and waking every farm dog I know to see this, my tail wagging in the impossibly bright air. What a night, what? (laughs) Very nice. The only poem I've written that has no punctuation. Oh, really? Uh, Really? Yeah. How did you, so that, that, is another question. Why? Why did you try that? Is that is that technique? Is that something that you were experimenting with and it worked? I. That's a good question. I haven't thought about that too much, but it, you kind of don't need it because, uh, okay, you know the dog gets squashed, according to this article. And also, it's the last word in the poem, so you know the poem ends there. Yeah. It, it's kind of unnecessary in a way. And Do you... Um, do you dabble in other um, literary form? Uh, do you uh, write 
um, fiction or essays or I've I've written I've written one short story which got published in an anthology so every short story I've ever written has gotten published (laughs) and uh, that record uh, uh, the poetry record is not is not that good Uh, some personal essays uh, about poetry not too many Uh, other other than other than that and of course with with Odyssey all those years the research magazine at UK uh, that opened up another entire world for me because I was writing feature articles about medical research, scientific research, literature, um, uh, the other arts, opera. Gail Robinson, we did a, a piece on her. And so that was a wonderful free education. And uh, I was getting paid a reasonable university salary to learn all of these things and to write about these really interesting people. So there's that 22 years that I spent mm-hmm. uh, with Odyssey uh, doing that. So you, um, if, if one comes across your work um, and they see a new publication or they visit you at the Kentucky Book Fair, it's, it's Jeff Warley, poet. In the case of some of the people that you talk about in your Speakers Bureau uh, presentation, it's Wendell Berry, poet, essayist, fiction, nonfiction. The the, the list goes on for Wendell. So what, for you, um, one short story uh, and and a lot of poems, but for somebody else, and and Wendell Berry is maybe not... um, uh, I, I don't mean it's it's not a comparison. It's just that well, you you know we're doing a, an in depth look at Robert Penn Warren, right? Uh, and our Kentucky Reads project. Warren began and was primarily a poet. Mm-hmm. He won three Pulitzer prizes, and two of them were in poetry. Uh, most people would would not expect that. So how does is that still being done today? Now Wendell Berry is still doing it, but let's let's leave. Our friend Wendell, aside for a minute, can, are there others that are that are writing narrative and and writing poetry? And yes, yeah, there there are a number of uh, poets who also publish um, collections of short stories, essays, critical articles. Um, so, yes, you know, a lot of writers have learned to be better writers by reading more material, by reading more of everything, fiction, nonfiction, and poetry, mm-hmm. uh, becoming a better writer by being, uh, being uh, a better nonfiction or fiction writer by, by reading poetry, by writing poetry. Um, do poets become better poets by reading other poets? We hope so. We hope so. And one of the things I tell my students is that uh, if you want to become a better writer, read a lot. I think of the quote by Saul Bellow, who says, uh, a writer is a reader moved to emulation. And that resonates with me, and I think it does with a lot of people who uh, maybe read a whole lot in high school and so forth, and then at some point, maybe, I don't know, the 50th book of poetry that a person read says, hey, I think I can do this. Or the hundredth novel that, that somebody says, oh, I think I can write a detective novel. And 
I think that's a, that's a pretty common path for, uh, for writers. You are part of this rich writing community in Kentucky um, of poets and, and fiction and nonfiction writers, this, uh, this robust uh, writing community that we all feel as Kentuckians so proud of and, and boastful of at times. I've been told that it is unique. I've been told by other writers from outside of Kentucky that uh, now you you know Kansas well, uh, that, you know, we don't have this in Kansas or we don't do this in in the Dakotas or whatever. And I don't know if that's uh, if that's true or not. Haven't lived in that many other places. Uh, There are certainly uh, fine quality writers in every state uh, in in the union. Uh, But why do you think that is? is 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 how unique is Kentucky in that way? Well, I, from my experience, it's, it is unique, and it may have to do with Kentucky being at, at the historical crossroads of, for example, in the, in the Civil War, um, neutral, but uh, there were um, um, patriots on, on, on both sides in the Civil War here. It's uh, ge- geographically at a kind of crossroads where the western half of the state is uh, farmland, very, uh, um, well, Kansas-like in some ways. Mm-hmm. But then, and then you get all the way to the mountains in the east, very different uh, geographical, um, very different geographically. Mm-hmm. So... And Richard Taylor, I asked him once this question, mm-hmm. and he said, he said, what makes Kentucky writers unique, in my opinion, is that the people here, they know who their people are, and they know who their people were. So there's that, that, that kind of lineage, that kind of uh, historical family uh, connection. I know that's not unique just to Kentucky, but if you roll all these things together—the history, the the geography, uh, and, and so forth—in that sense, I think Kentucky would be. Let's go out on one more short poem. If you uh, can, uh, again, we'll be glad when the uh, publication is out. You won't have to leaf through your uh, your binder here. Uh, but you've immediately found one. What's this one in? Okay, title? this is not set in Kroger. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, this one is set at Drake's, which is a very different kind of place. And Drake's is a, uh, a bar restaurant uh, on uh, uh, Tate's Creek Road in, in Lansdowne uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. But this also has to do about aging, so this will, this will be a, a circular sort of connection to how we started out. Uh, this is a poem titled Reality Check. Heather, the new bartender at Drake's, has exactly 14 ballpoint pens perfectly aligned in her holster. Her eyes are green almonds. Her smile reaches into my chest and turns my heart 35 years counterclockwise. Your eyes, she says, are they hazel, light brown? I hope it's okay to say they're beautiful in this light. Her words hug the air for three long seconds. You know, you remind me of my grandfather. (laughs) 
words can do such wonderful work, sometimes we don't know when to stop. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's really very good, uh, Jeff. That, that's that's a, a good one to end on. And thank you for being uh, uh, our guest on Think Humanities, and, and thanks for being part of our, our uh, family at uh, Kentucky Humanities. Thank you, Bill. Always good to see you. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities and is a production of the University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast was created at the Media Depot. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Thank you.